Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. It's Friday, but that's right. We are coming at you with an episode that's just a bit extra special. Yeah, Labor Day week has has really just thrown everything out of the loop, hasn't it? But uh, um, it's interesting. But, you know, still the same two guys giving you that good, good before the weekend hits. (laughs) Dominic, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really know where to go from that intro, but hey, this is a very special, special episode because for the first time ever, we're doing it on a Friday. It's usually on a hump day on a Wednesday. So something about having a little little discussion here to start off the weekend. No fight breakdowns, no previews, just two bros chatting the breeze about MMA. I'm pretty excited for this one, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it is always nice to just kind of get the get to do that little water cooler talk, you know, as they yeah. used to call it back in the day. Um, but Monday we did kind of mention potentially doing like a half and half. We're just gonna make it clear there will be no, you know, real news or anything in this episode. We're gonna save all of that for Monday. So we'll talk about the contender series on Monday. Um, we'll talk about the trailer boxing event on Monday, and obviously we'll talk about any fight announcements that have come out um, up to this point, and then obviously over the weekend and uh, some other stuff as well. So Monday will just be a big news weekend recap, but just recapping yeah. mostly news and uh, fight announcements, stuff like that. So today, all Reddit Roundtable, which is a personal favorite of mine, maybe because I created it, I don't know. <laughs> Fuck you. Like, what? biased, yeah. <laughs> But um, essentially how this works for everybody who, you know, is new to this, which if you're new, go go check out the, the playlist of the catalog, all the previous right? Reddit roundtables. But uh, me and Dominic scour the web. We scour Reddit. That's hence the name. But also we use Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, anywhere that people pose questions involving the world of MMA. We will search for it and find it. And we will put it on a list on here and talk about it. Just what topics are most frequent in the community? What is what is the community really looking for answers about? And we're the two guys to give you the the nitty gritty truth about everything involving MMA here. So, oh yeah. <laughs> so Dominic, anything else before we just get right in? I think there's only one thing left to do, and that is, in fact, get right in. So let's go. <laughs> also, quick note. Be on the lookout for Monday's episode because me and Dominic may have new setups. Oh, we're, hey, all the new people, all the old people, just keep trickling in, baby, because <laughs> this show is going to continue to grow leaps and bounds, whether it's from our end with the production side of things or with our wonderful community. So appreciate you all. Wow, that was that was very lovely. Question number one. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to notice, once again, I do gather these questions over time, so Got a couple from UFC 265 and the fallout of that event. Starting with, where would Jose Aldo rank among the greatest fighters ever if he captured the Bantamweight title before retiring? Dominic, obviously, Jose Aldo, longstanding featherweight champion, undefeated for like a decade Mm. prior to his loss to Conor McGregor. It's been more of a, a bumpy ride since, but... If he were to capture that Bantamweight title before retiring, where do you think that ranks him among the all-time greats? Yeah, so any OG listeners, way back, we did our top 10 fighters of all time. I think it was our second episode ever Mm -hmm. on the show, so there's a throwback. 
Um, and I had him in my top 10. Matter of fact, I had him sitting, excuse me, at number six on that list. So, uh, you know, we've seen him have his ups and downs since then in the Bantamweight division, moved down, had some controversial fights, had some good fights, fought for a belt, which is crazy. Um, so here he is now, and he just uh, came off of a big win against Pedro Munoz. He looked great in that fight. So Jose Aldo, man, should he capture that Bantamweight belt before he ties it all up? And, by the way, I mean, he's still pretty young. He's got some miles left in the tank still. I mean, you got to go top five, right? Personally, I'd probably squeeze him in. My top three is going to be hard to nudge, but I'd probably say number four on my list. He might surpass Demetrius Johnson just because of the two-weight world title status, uh, seven title defenses down there uh, at featherweight as well. So, yeah, got to be number four or five for me in a list where I already had him in the top ten. And regardless, I think the King of Rio could really shock the world with an extra title at a lower (sighs) weight class. Oh, man. Well, I was going to say definitely top 10 with winning that title. Um, I don't – I personally am not going to go that high. Uh, I I put Amanda Nunes above him still. I put um, Demetrius Johnson probably still above him. But, I mean, that's that's a lot of accomplishments for one career for sure. And if I remember the rest of my list, I mean, I had Randy Couture on there. I had Chuck Liddell on there. You know, he should those guys really be in the top 10 all time? I mean, I don't know. I think when I made that list, it was more off the actual accolades rather than, you know, if you put Randy Couture versus probably the top 10 light heavyweights today, he probably loses to every one of them just because fight styles have evolved so much. But yeah, I didn't really judge it off of that. I judged it simply off of the accolades for the time and, um, Aldo would fit somewhere in there in the back half of the top 10, I would say. Man, Dominic, you think very highly of Aldo in his UFC tenure. And, um, you know, I think actually if you conclude his tenure outside of the UFC, it boosts him for sure because that that 10-year unbeaten streak was mostly done outside of the UFC. Um, So I think when we were ranking UFC fighters, we were basing off of their UFC careers and Aldo I think still had a great has had a great run in the UFC but I I don't I don't quite put him that high I think he's I think he's just I think these blemishes that have you know obviously mostly in big fights big title fights but you know I do think that you have to include this second half of his career you know just value it just as much as the first half in my opinion but definitely top 10 and that would be quite the accomplishment when we really consider where we think he's at now. I mean, do either of us really think he's going to win that belt? Probably not. I mean, it's yeah, a tough division. Exactly. But that win over Munoz, he looked fantastic. Um, probably the best performance we've seen out of him as a Bantamweight. And doing it against a guy like Pedro Munoz, who's so consistent in this division and has had some big moments, says a lot about you know Aldo is not done. But uh, yeah. he does have a long road to the top if he wants to make it. Rock and roll. Sure. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Anyways, number two. <laughs> so number two, um, this question's pretty simple, Dom. Do you think Joe Rogan has declined as a commentator? Honestly, man, I mean, I still feel the same about Joe Rogan as I did a long time ago. Granted. It used to just be a two-man team, and now we see him with three. So 
I guess there's a little bit less to go around in terms of his input into fights, but I still feel his enthusiasm. Obviously, he's always been known for his big remarks and the, oh, and he's hurt and all this fun stuff. But, I mean, I still love Joe just as much today as I did in the olden days. I think he meshes really well with the typical trio of him, Anik, and DC. Um, I think it makes for good conversation, whether it is about, you know, the styles and how fights are playing out or the small banter in between bouts. I see a lot of hate and slack on the guy or the way maybe he'll portray some things. And I've had my gripes at times where like, oh, man, he's not even that hurt. What are we freaking out for? Maybe some bias here or there. But for the most part, um, he's just such a staple of the UFC and has helped so much in their evolution for the past 20 plus years. Um, So, yeah, man, I mean, I still love Joe. It's going to be a very sad day when we see him go. So, I mean, decline. I can't really say a affirmative yes, because I still feel like he is very knowledgeable in the game and he has only become more knowledgeable as time has passed as well. Just like us being fans. And even during this podcast, you can look at episode one and where we are now and even our knowledge has grown. So I feel it's the same way for him. So uh, yeah, Joe Rogan, man, an OG, I, I wouldn't say a decline. I still love him just as much. I Maybe I should have set this up better. Cause I think there's some more, um, things I would like to see your your thoughts on because and I'll talk about it now and then bring it back to you. So I don't think Joe Rogan's declined as a commentator first off, but I do think that the the entirety of the commentating team has been ele- they have all elevated. Mm-hmm. You know, it used, it was Rogan and Mike Goldberg for a long time and yeah. I love Mike Goldberg, you know, for what he's done, you know, and the how he was truly, you know, a long-standing member of the UFC family, but I mean, is is Mike Goldberg near as good as anybody who is on today's broadcast? No, not really. You know, it, he was really good for his time, but I don't. I just think the game's caught up, yeah. and that's the same. And it's similar for Joe Rogan. I think Rogan was always kind of the one carrying that two-man team um, when it came to actual fight analysis and whatnot. Uh, but now he doesn't have to do that because he's literally commentating with fighters yeah. most of the time. You know, guys like Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz and Paul Felder, Michael yeah. Bisping, stuff like that. Uh, so Rogan doesn't really have to do that. So his job has kind of become to he, – he tries to paint the picture with his words based off what he sees in the cage. Uh, and he he will articulate a lot of narratives based on that. He tries to create stories right. with his words. Sometimes – those narratives that he clings to don't end up coming to fruition. And that's where you get a lot of people, you know, screaming bias and um, getting upset at him for the way that he calls certain fights. Um, I remember pretty bad one. I thought the Jan Blahovich Israel Adesanya yeah. fight was yeah. a pretty egregious example. However, it was so weird how you could see the shock in their, in their voices when the scorecards were announced. Right. For that fight, but I thought the scorecards were egregious on the other end. So I feel like nobody really got that fight right in the end. But and regardless, I just think that um, Joe Rogan's great for the sport. He's been the biggest name, kind of uh, like he's the biggest name that's not like the biggest personality. There you go. Yeah, in the sport for a long time, and he's evolved with it. When he was brought in, he was the host of Fear Factor and. You know, things like that. Now he's got the biggest podcast in the world. So, 
you know, the guy has truly evolved with the times and he's made himself irreplaceable to the UFC, in my opinion. I think I think he still loves doing it just as much as he as he did when he started. And I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. But I understand people's gripes. I just think that I think you know, I don't think he's needed as much as he once was. Maybe that's the better phrasing here. Like, mm-hmm. if Rogan tomorrow was decided he was retiring from MMA commentary, I'd be sad. But I, I don't think I'd miss him. Is that oh. is that fair to say? Because you, with John Anik, Daniel Cormier, like they have so many good commentators yeah. that. I don't I mean we we've won events without him. At this point he's only doing domestic pay-per-views. Yeah. He doesn't do international pay-per-views. He doesn't do fight nights. So really more often than not we don't have Joe Rogan on the broadcast anyways. I will say it makes it feel like a bigger deal when he's there. Yeah. But I I just think that the commentary team they have put together based with former fighters, now Laura Sanko's even yeah. a member of that team. None of them are less than spectacular, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with any amount of um, combination that you make from them. But uh, I definitely, it's going to be a sad day when that time comes. Hopefully that's a while from now. You know, I I feel the way I do about Joe Rogan, and this may, eh, I don't know if it's going to be a hot take, but I don't give a shit. That's what I feel. I feel that Joe Rogan is just an integral integral there we go Uh, i had an extra syllable there (laughs) to the ufc in terms of my perspective my fan viewpoint as like bruce buffer almost is so just the pool that those guys both have when i watch these events is so strong so i don't even want to go down the rabbit hole of of when bruce is gone because that man is something special but yeah man uh joe rogan an og a legend yeah i don't know if that's really a hot take i thought you were going to compare him to like broadcasters and other sports or commentators in other sports or something like i thought you were gonna i don't know i i can't even think of someone on top of my head in other sports that would be the equivalent but yeah i mean at the end of the day it would be sad for me you know i'm a big listener of his podcast i love joe rogan i, I love love the guy I, I watch pretty much every episode of that guy's show but I mean, I listen to his stand-up too. Like, I'm yeah. a fan of Joe Rogan outside, regardless of his UFC impact. But I remember when I first started watching like hardcore. You know, even yeah. when that was the last few months of Goldberg being there and stuff. I remember going, I can't imagine wrote like the UFC without Joe Rogan. Now, fast forward five. I years. can. Yeah, I can. You know, it's. That's all it comes down to. It would still be a sad day. It would still be like a, you know, you, you never want to say it's over. But I just think the UFC would be – They, I don't think they would slip at all. I think they would right. just continue chugging uh, with the team they have. Number three, Surreal Gone, the recently, uh, recently crowned or enshrined uh, interim heavyweight champion had a really big win in securing that title against Derek Lewis in the main event of UFC 265. And he's undefeated, Dominic, and he's really looked pretty much perfect in his few fights that really he's had in the UFC. Um, so because of that, it's it's kind of come down to, you know, who can solve Surreal Gun, you know, this puzzle. puzzle yeah. So who has a better chance, do you think, of solving the Surreal Gun puzzle? 
is a current UFC heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou, or the wild card, John Bones Jones? I mean, I feel like you have to sway toward John in this instance, just because, you know, he's one of the best fighters, if not the best fighter we've ever seen. His uh, fight style, the way he can really implement perfect game plans. That's what's so special when you see John Jones fight is the way that they plan for each individual opponent, each individual matchup. It's always different than the way he approaches it, but it's always the same result, man. I mean, he he beats everyone, right? And uh, the way that he can pick shots, whether it's with his grappling, with his striking, his oblique kicks, his unique arsenal of weaponry paired with his movement, his athleticism, his speed, his quickness. He's one of the best ever, and for that reason alone, I feel he saw or has a better chance of solving Surreal Gone, whereas Francis, you know, these guys are former training partners, which is, you know, throws a wrench in there because Francis maybe has seen some looks, but that's been a few years now at this point. Both guys have gotten so much better. Um, and all across the board in their games. But at the end of the day, Francis is still that guy that's going to come out and look for the one-punch KO rather than pick someone apart. So I just don't feel like he could, you know, if he doesn't land that shot against Gone, I think it's a much harder fight for him to attempt to win over the course of five rounds, whereas John Jones, he if he can, you know, kind of settle in, pair it with a good game plan, him and Gone could really be a back-and-forth fight for five rounds whereas gone and ganu i feel like it's going to be one-sided on you know whoever's going to win that fight i guess if that's makes sense the way i'm putting it there so i go john jones the better chance to solve yeah. the serial gone puzzle that's an interesting evaluation see i when i'm reading this you know when you're talking about solving a puzzle to me that's like that's not just like when i when i what i want to answer this as is who has a better chance of beating yeah, surreal gone, and maybe that is what I should just do here. But when you say solving the surreal gone puzzle, like is getting a quick knockout solving that puzzle really? Yeah, I mean you win, but it's almost like you know, I, I to me you caught him. You know, solving the puzzle means you're using your technical abilities to sort of out technique him to yeah. out beat him as his own game. Yes, exactly. So that's John Jones like a million times. Yeah. But who has a better chance of beating Surreal Gone? I will stand by Francis Ngannou 100%. Now, I actually think both stand pretty good with Surreal Gone. I, I, you know how I feel about Surreal Gone, Dom. I'm so high on him. Yep. But I'm so high on these other two guys as well. Obviously, John Jones might be the best fighter of all time. Francis Ngannou is, I mean, looks – terrifying in his title <laughs> yeah. win over Stipe Miocic. He's got the best knockout power in MMA history. Him or Shane Carwin, I guess. But um, yeah. when it comes down to who has a better chance of beating Surreal Gone, I'll take Ngannou's power all day. And you guys can, you know, I know the common people in our shoes or people in the, in the circuit of, you know, the suits that uh, do these talk shows like us that do these kind of podcasts like us, you know, it's, you want to be the, you want to give the smart answer that, uh, you know, and God, who just has a puncher's chance and that that's not, you know, that's not a recipe for always winning a fight, obviously. Yeah. But nobody's been able to avoid Ngannou's power outside of, I guess, Stipe in their first title fight. And then you had the weird fight with Lewis, but I mean, whatever. That just doesn't count. But, yeah. I mean, but when, when, and Ganu touches you, you go to sleep. Yep. That has been proven 
time and time again when he even in a fight like he did had with Rosenstrike where he basically just bull rushed him and threw like he treated his arms like sledgehammers and yep. swung them like th- that. It looked like Triple H in the WWE. That's what it looked like. What? Swing, swinging the sledgehammer. Come on. Oh, okay. I'm like, huh? <laughs> um, okay, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's what it looked like. And he, one touch, and Rosenstrick was just boop, Asleep. done. Yeah. Fight over, 20 seconds. That's just, I mean, that's just a cheat code in a sense. Yeah. So Surreal God has to be perfect for five rounds, and Ghani must be perfect for one punch. It's the same argument I said for Derek Lewis in their fight with um, Surreal Ghan, but it's like times 10 with mm-hmm. Ngannou. So I give Ngannou a better chance just because of that. But John Jones, I think, if there's one guy who can do what Surreal Ghan does better than Surreal Ghan, it might be John Jones. Right. We don't know how he'll look as a heavyweight, but I still believe that. I mean, he already just by pictures and videos – Looks better than I thought he. Mm-hmm. Like he he looks big, moving well with the size yeah. and everything. Yeah, so that'll be the big factor is kind of how well he moves and things like that. Um, but I think he could hold up with Surreal Gone for five rounds. I think you'd get a very technical fight if they did face off. And those are two guys that you know they can't they they're not afraid to necessarily go to the ground either. So yeah, I would. That's a fight I would love to see someday. Really. You can only hope, man. Yeah, but hope. obviously, God and God, it was the priority number one. Any final thoughts on that one, Dominic? I thought we did a pretty solid breakdown there. If I can toot our own horn. Number four, Dominic. If you, if you personally uh, got in that time machine that I had been, that I had introduced back in this or that, the DeLorean, and can go back in time and be in Dana White's position. For a stare down that took place between two fighters, which one would you want to be part of? I hope you like this one, Noah. I mean, I, it's putting you on the spot, so I, I understand. Okay, I'm not gonna... I 100% just thought of my answer just now mm-hmm. as you were introing it. Um, but I'm going to say it very confidently here Anderson Silva versus Chael Sonnen, part one. And part two. Can I just pair them both together? Is the first one when he gives them the shoulder to like the little. Is that the first one or the second one? Yeah. Oh, I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. But But I I love that. The little bop, bop. Oh, man. That's what that's one of my personally. It's got to be 100% top three rivalries of all time. And, you know, both those guys, the banter back and forth, Chael P. and the master on the microphone, the Conor McGregor of those days of the UFC on the mic, and then Anderson, the quiet, humble, just legend amongst boys at, during those times. But then you really saw Chael get under his skin with the shoulder bumps, getting face-to-face. He got under uh, Anderson's skin, and you didn't see that then at all. Chael was the first and really one of the last to ever do that to him. And uh, that rivalry was just so huge. And then when you look at the fight that followed suit with Chael Sonnen dominating Anderson for essentially four and a half rounds, Anderson pulls off one of the craziest comebacks in UFC history. Then you get the second uh, fight and the lead up to it where Chael's like, Anderson, for the first one, Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck. And then for the second fight, he goes, I'm going to up the ante. If I beat you, you got to leave the division. If you beat me, I leave the UFC forever. The buildups to both of those were incredible, and we know that a solid buildup to a fight can only make that face-off even more intense. So I got to go 
Silva, Chael Sonnen, man. This might be a hot take, but I hate that second call out. I hate it so much. That is the most pro wrestling call out. And he didn't but, even leave the UFC then either. So. Well, of course not. He's still under contract. I mean, this but, isn't. Come on. Come on. Come on. But he's the bad guy. No, I, I, I do agree. I mean, great rivalry, but I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay fair though. If I hate that call out, or if I'm, I can't like that call out. But then hate what they did with Brock Lesnar, Daniel Cormier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Brock Lesnar was more, be- I believed what he said more than fucking <laughs> Chael Sonnen that night. I knew Chael Sonnen wasn't leaving the UFC, but Brock Lesnar said, DC, I'm coming for you, motherfucker. Yeah, and then broke Joe Rogan's hand. Broke but... his hand on the camera. <laughs> My answer for this, I tried to research this a little bit. I know that's not really fair because I put you on the spot, but, um, when I, when I was researching this, the one that I kept coming back to was Anderson Silva versus Vitor Belfort when he put the mask on. Yep. And uh, you could see Vitor just overcome with anger. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and because uh, I was looking for, like, trying to find, like, uh, videos of, like, compilations of, like, stare downs. And yeah. there's not a lot of them on YouTube, surprisingly. But I kept coming back to that one as like one that I wanted something where you just felt in the moment like this was a big deal, a big fight. Um, there was a lot of emotion on stage. Yeah. Um, and that was one I kept coming back to. There's some Conor McGregor ones that are that could be really good. Obviously, yeah. Uh, the Nate Diaz ones are fantastic. But do I really want to be like putting my arms in there? Freaking like, out. Yeah. yeah. Um, like Conor, Conor, no. <laughs> Like when he's throwing the the bottles of water and stuff. Yeah. Um, a funny answer, though, was uh, that I thought of the first John Jones, Daniel Cormier stare down. Holy shit. Where things just kind of go crazy. And John, that, that, but this wasn't Dana White. Yeah. yeah. It was some little guy. <laughs> it was mini Dana. He's yeah. bald, <laughs> another bald white guy who's not, not Joe Rogan, not Dana White, but just some guy. Um, up there, and that poor guy got tossed like a fucking Threw salad. The backdrop, yep. and fell down, and John goes to throw a punch. So I said I would like to be in his shoes to see if I could prevent that from happening. Ah, okay, okay. So that way, pandemonium doesn't doesn't take over. Uh, you know, John gets back on stage and just starts yelling. I'm like, no, I want to stop that. You know what another insane face-off was that happened recently this year? Uh, Oliveira Chandler, the final face-off between those guys. Dude, I know they weren't talking shit or doing anything wild, but to be there in that moment and like just feel the tension and the intensity coming off of both of them, that would have been pretty cool too as like a low-key sleeper. That wasn't yeah. like dramatic, but just, oh. You well, I told it, you, man. I told you, I remember sending it to our group chat and I was like, Something about when Oliveira takes those sunglasses off. Oh man! You're like, wait a minute! You're like, here. whoa, wait a minute! You're like, yeah. this, this has got serious. Yeah, that one's a good one. I don't know why it was so like it just you could just oh, feel man. it. Oh man! Yeah, like, I think it. I think part of it was because the expectations for it had to be pretty low. I mean, these guys didn't have a lot of heat on one another. They were both right. confident they were going to win, but both respectful in the yeah. lead up. And then once it got on stage, though, it was like, nope. No more talk. Oh, nose to nose. It's Ooh. time for war. I love it. I'm. Yeah. Can I just say, my heart is so happy 
that Anderson Silva topped the list for both of us. I just have to say that. I mean, I be hey, one of the guys that topped my list is fighting this weekend. But they both are. Oh wait, they both are. Oh my god, I, <laughs> it all comes full circle, right? Yeah, it really does. Uh, number five. Here's a Bellator question. I love this question, Noah. But um, it's going to involve our UFC featherweights. AJ McKee got the biggest win of his career by capturing the featherweight title along with the featherweight Grand Prix, uh, I don't know, prize or whatever, um, by beating Patricio Pitbull in very quick fashion, I might add. So now AJ McKee's stock is through the roof. I mean, we're, we're all so high on this guy now. And he's a he's a phenom, and Bellator yeah. has the biggest star they probably ever created on their hands. But the question is, where does AJ McKee stack up with the current top of the heap at UFC for their featherweights? I mean, I, I pull up the rankings here just to confirm right. in my head. So let's let's so let's so let's go one, let's go one by one, Dom. Let's okay. start with top ten. Okay. Yeah. So go to ten, and we'll just say the name, and we'll say if we think. McKee beats them or not. Oh, okay. We're playing a little game here. Mm-hmm. Number 10, Edson Barboza. It's a tough fight, but I think McKee gets past him. I agree. Number nine, Mr. 50K Dan Ige. That's a I, banger of a match. Yeah, it is a good fight, but I still think McKee gets past him. This is fun because we're talking about this gentleman a little bit later on this episode. Number eight, Mr. Giga Chikadze. Yeah, this is this is the, this is a that's a tough one. That is such a tough one. This is a tough matchup, but then there's a couple guys ahead of Giga where I think, oh, I go right back to AJ having a very strong. I agree. Showing, no, I agree. You know? I agree. I think I'm going Giga here. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> do we have to at this point say who's going to win or lose? Can we just say if it's a good matchup or not? Oh gosh. I might go. Oh, actually, I'm going to go McKee. But it, it, so it, it's safe to say, right? So where does he stack up? He stacks up well against Giga Chikadze. Is that fair enough? Let's start labeling yeah. it that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven, Josh Emmett. Been out for a while. Had a bad injury to his knee. Yeah, got a lot of power in his Big hands. power puncher. Still going to go AJ McKee. Okay. I agree. I agree. I agree. No disrespect to these guys if we're kind of brushing past them. It's just the matchups are more clear in my Where's head. Where's he stacking up? Yeah. Yeah. Number six, the biggest sleeper, in my opinion, in this division. Maybe outside of Geach, God's say, but I think even more of a sleeper, even though he's ranked ahead. Number six, Arnold Allen. Yeah, I had no idea Arnold Allen was ranked that high. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm still going to go McKee, but I love what Arnold Allen could potentially bring to that matchup. But That's like a matchup of two Swiss Army Knives, I feel like, that one. Yeah, it really is. So well I'm, still, I'm still going to go McKee. Then we sit. We're entering top five territory yeah. outside of the champion, obviously. Calvin Cater sitting at number five, coming off that tough loss to Max Holloway at the beginning of the year. Yeah, see, I don't want to, I don't want to like focus too much on Calvin Cater's last performance because, I mean, he showed he was durable, but he didn't show much else. I mean, because Max Holloway put a beating on him. You got to think if Max couldn't finish him, could AJ come in and finish him? I wonder. But AJ McKee's all. Yeah, I mean, you're right. No, for sure, you're right. I, I, for me, though, I thought Calvin Cater was going to win that fight. So that proves yeah. going in, Calvin Cater had shown me a lot leading up to that fight with Max. So I, I don't want to think too harshly on him here in this matchup just because of how he looked against Max. But I think I'm still going to go McKee. Okay. Yeah, I think that's one where are we going to see McKee utilize the grappling skill set that he holds, you know, 
We saw him, you know, obviously submit Pitbull. Granted, it was because of his success on the feet. Can he find that same success against an incredible boxer and cater? That that's a that's where it's real intriguing there for me. Mm-hmm. And then hit the true top five if we are going to count the champion. We go to Korean Zombie next at number four. You talk about just a. But can we just make that AJ McKee's intro fight if he ever comes to the UFC? Him and <laughs> yeah. Korean Zombie. That's a fight, man. I like McKee's grappling though in that in that matchup. I think this might I'll be s- the one where I start to feel a little bit more in the UFC side of things. Okay, just I'm sticking hair. with I'm sticking with McKee. All right, all right. Uh, number three, El Pantera. Haven't seen him in quite some time, but Yair <laughs> Rodriguez, the incredible striker, the kicks, the elbows, the knees. Definitely has a lot of intangibles to challenge AJ McKee. But again, when you go to the overall skill set, he kind of holds it, you know? I think McKee's just a more well-rounded fighter at this point. And he's been more active. That's that's a... And now the real fun begins here. I, I honestly, this is going to be a bit of a limp dick ending to this, but I, I don't think I can put McKee over anybody else. Fair to say. Well, let's just pair it all together. Yeah, yeah. Right, we've got Brian Ortega, who's about to take on Alexander Volkanovsky for the championship in a couple of weeks. And then, of course, sandwiched in between the two at number one, the former champion, Max Holloway. So those so, are the latter three. So this is interesting because I think the Ortega fight is the is the one that is the most, like, up in the air. Like, I don't know if McKee or Ortega would win. but I Because I like McKee's hands better than Ortega's. Mm-hmm. But if McKee does take that fight to the ground, I like Ortega's just jujitsu to best really, grappler in the division. Yeah, and I, you know, if Ortega, if McKee gets it all overwhelmed and you know shoots for a takedown, it could mm-hmm. be the end of the fight right there for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's just well, I guess that's the Ortega matchup. Obviously, him and Max Holloway, insane. If it's on the feet, yeah, and. You know, Max is a guy that is so extremely underrated on the ground because we just never really see him there. Is he really underrated on the ground? I think in terms of his defense, yeah, I I, I think he's well, no, underrated I, there. I think he's proven he's got really good. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I mean, maybe you're right. I just don't you just think don't we see it. We don't see it, so I don't think you can even say he's underrated on the ground. I just don't think we know if he's really yeah. that good on the ground. I'm talking more offensively, I guess. But yes, yeah. in terms of avoiding the ground, he's great. Yeah. He never gets taken there. And then on the feet, you'd have to almost <laughs> lean toward Holloway. Then again, when you see what he did Dude. in January, you're taking yeah. him over anybody. I don't know if I'm leaning or if I'm falling on that side. <laughs> I mean, no offense to AJ McKee, but Max Holloway is just an, an – I, I still think Max Holloway might be the best featherweight in the entire world, even though he's lost to the champion twice. That's just where I stand. So that's why I'm going to go with Max. And speaking of the champion, Noah, last but not least – Current Bellator champion, AJ McKee. Current UFC champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. Well, the one interesting interval here is that McKee's got the size over Volkanovsky. Yeah. But Volkanovsky proved against Max that it really didn't bother him too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely like Volkanovsky, his ability to uh, switch it up. Um, he's, I don't know, he's just he's just so technically sound as a fighter. Yep. McKee's still very young, still you know, as good as he is, he's still got, you know, a few things that he can obviously improve on. Volkanovski's just so solid. Yeah, what's so cool about Volk is just the way that he can implement it. It's similar to kind of how John Jones did at light heavyweight, where he can just implement a game plan 
that could be so perfect no matter what the matchup is for him. So I would have to agree with you there. And so to conclude that, I guess, sentiment on A.J. McKee, it's fair to say, based off what we were just saying, we feel he is a legitimate top four, if not top three, featherweight in the UFC if he were well, to over. Well, right yeah, now. top five. He's top five level talent for sure. I mean, because Giga Chikadze is, you know, a, a variable out there at number yeah. eight. But, um, no, I definitely think that, you know, for all we know, he may not beat a single one of those top ten guys, but he's made us believe he can. Yeah. That's why eventually I got to see it. I got to know. Got to see him in the UFC for sure. You know, don't want to don't want to be a proponent of Bellator losing their top star, but I just I got to see him against the best of the best, and that's yeah. going to be mostly in the UFC. Yeah, he's a special talent, man. Mm-hmm. Moving on to number six, Dominic. I hope you've had some time to think about this one, so I hope you have your answer ready. What is the biggest what if in UFC history? Okay. Well, I'll just go with this one. I actually talked about this what if matchup quite a bit over the past week, oddly enough, with a couple different friends and whatnot, and even you and I before recording. Um, so, again, I'm pulling my Anderson Silva hat back out here, my favorite yeah. fighter of all time. What if, Noah, the UFC – came to terms, and got, at the time, what would have been the biggest super fight in UFC history, Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre. Not only what if, in terms of what would happen, should they have fought, and what belt on the line, all that fun stuff, but what could have happened for the future of the UFC after that inevitable outcome of whoever would have won, because they would have been launched even more into superstardom than these two were at the time. They were the two at the top of the table for the UFC, and really there was a big gap between the two for quite some time before the Conor McGregor's, the John Joan Reigns started coming into play. These were the two dudes. So had they ever faced off, which is one that little young Dom with the squeaky high-pitched voice was like, man, I wish we could have seen that one. And I still think about it today at 23 years old on an MMA podcast with you, Noah. What if they could have made that fight happen? The absolute scenes they could have done, whether it be, you know, in Canada where the UFC has shown to do big George St. Pierre shows, big sellout stadiums. Do they go to Brazil and bury it out there? Do they do it in Vegas with a sold-out crowd at what then would have been the MGM Grand? So it wouldn't have been as huge there. But I digress. This is one of the biggest fights that never happened in the UFC history, and it will haunt me until the end of times. George St. Pierre... Anderson Silva super fight. Yeah, it's a huge fight in terms of like all time rankings and things like that. Like that's if you're talking about like what if, like what I think that's a big ramification is just in terms of but both guys are top. I mean, they're one and two essentially yeah. for most yeah. lists. However, I think if you go beyond that into like, okay, if this fight did happen in let's say 2012 or so, you know, around when it was rumored to happen. Anderson Silva lost to Chris Weidman in 2013, snapping his seven-year title run, I believe it was seven years. GSP retired after his controversial bout with Johnny Hendricks in 2014. So both guys had pretty big, I guess, career-altering moments coming up. Fall from grace, yeah. I don't I, – well, for Anderson, I mean, GSP just retired mostly. Yeah. But um, my point being just that both of their careers took 
different directions outside of fighting, essentially. Anderson started fighting a little less. You know, he snapped his leg in the rematch, all that. So depending on who wins that super fight, one of those two things may not happen. Mm, altering UFC history as we know. Because if GSP, if let's say the belt was for, I would imagine it'd be for 185 yeah. pound title. I don't think, I don't see Anderson going to 170. I really yeah. don't. So let's say middleweight title on the line, GSP wins, then Silva and Weidman probably doesn't happen. Yeah, true. You get GSP Weidman. That'd be mm, an that's interesting. That's an interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then if uh, if Anderson beats GSP, I guess technically you still might get GSP Johnny Hendricks, but maybe GSP retires even sooner because he, yeah. he lost. I mean, what is there to prove? Right. You prove that you're probably the second best fighter of all time, yep. and you're probably not going to be able to convince anybody you're the best because right. you lost to the guy that would potentially be ahead of you. So it's like, what is there left to prove? So I think there is some long-term ramifications from that bout not happening, but, um, you know, I that's that's probably about it. Um, as far as my pick, now, now I kind of forgot my pick, so let me uh, – <laughs> in terms of a what if – that was a good one, Dom, for being put on the spot. You know, I'm the one that's had time to think about these questions. And did I do it? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I got ice in my veins, baby. Um, one that stuck out to me was uh, Fedor Emelianenko. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big UFC, one. There was a big fight that the UFC were pushing for with him and Brock Lesnar around post-UFC 100. Um, that bout never came to fruition. Fedor never came to the UFC. And for a guy who... If you go, you know, we rank our, we made the ranking um, for our second episode. Yeah. We solely focused on UFC careers, mostly because it gets very muddied if you do MMA. You got a guy like Fedor, who was probably the best heavyweight in MMA history, unless you go Stipe. Yeah. But never he never fought in the ufc so like you know for fedor it's just so hard to evaluate him sometimes right so i think that's a big one um what if i mean depends on how far i can stretch a what if to is it like what if stretch do it you know what if uh masvidal doesn't land the knee on ben askren Mm. ben askren probably wins that fight i know people might not like to hear that but uh Actually, I don't. I don't want to say that. Bosby don't could probably win that fight, but I'm just saying that, like, yeah, I see your sentiment. You know, I if Ben Askren wins that fight, he Ben Askren gets a might title be. Shot. He, I don't know if he does, but he might. And then Masvidal just kind of goes back into obscurity a little bit. Does he ever get the BMF title? You know what I mean? No, but definitely not. And, no yeah. way. That moment, the made fighter him. of the year that year. That moment made him. Yeah. Um. Trying to think of another one. Like, what if? I mean, if you want to get real crazy, what if uh, Spike turned down the Ultimate Fighter season one? Wow! Imagine you might not get. There might not be a UFC anymore. We'd be we'd be potentially Dominic doing this podcast with half the listeners we already have because the sport would be even that much smaller. Yeah, and it'd probably be talking about promotions that are not even a quarter the size of the UFC today. Yeah, we'd be talking about like the biggest promotion in the world would be the size of like LFA 
or something. Yeah, Maybe. that's like that's like a Thanos with the reality stone type of simulation that you just proposed there. Yeah. <laughs> so um I don't know, just some what if uh ooh, another fun one. What if Hoist Gracie didn't win the first UFC tournament? Mm. That 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 whole event was supposed to be the unveiling of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Gracie yeah. Jiu Jitsu to the world. What if he lost? What if he lost to Ken Shamrock, who everybody thought would win? Right. Would that? I, how much would that change things? I don't know. Man, and Ken was already a big name at the time too. So imagine had he won that, he would have just been even bigger of a guy too. Well, he was and he wasn't. I mean, at that time, that was before his run in the WWF. Yeah. So then he, he became he, stuff. He became much bigger later. But I mean, at that time, if you were into MMA, if you were watching. I mean, because that's the start of MMA in America, essentially, is the UFC. Yeah. But you had Bally Tudo and Japan and things like that, where he was a big part with Boss Rutan and guys like that. But um, yeah. you know, I wouldn't—I don't know if I'd call him a big name, but I definitely think he was the—he was the favorite going in just by sheer physique. Yeah. So what if he? What if the audience that was so clueless about jujitsu was proven right that night? Would jiu-jitsu have blown up in the United States like it did? Or maybe it would have, but would it have taken longer? Yeah, you know, there's, right. There's just a lot of, like, moments that you can think about. I mean. And they all to... truly just alter, you know, historical, not only time segments mm-hmm. in the company, but just in general where we would be today would be affected. Yeah. What if Connor never lands the, le- the, the, hand, the left hand, I think, or was it a left hand on yeah, Jose on Aldo? Jose, yeah. How does that fight play out if it goes longer? Or if he even just loses in general, where's yeah. Conor McGregor at? You know, it's very interesting. Is this a conspiracy theory podcast? No. <laughs> I don't think so, but <laughs> I, I still like talking about it regardless. Now, here's a fun one, Dominic. I'm going to toot my own horn for this one because this <laughs> is this is one I came up with by myself, and. Um, you know, <laughs> for how specific it is, I feel like it's like I feel like commenters are gonna be like, "There ain't no way you came up with that off the top of your head." This, I can yeah. vouch. Yeah, yeah. If Dominic, the UFC introduced unlimited rounds so that every fight had to end via knockout or submission, who of our current champions? Would be least likely to still have their belt under that rule. Least likely to still have the belt. Francis Ngannou. I think simply because at heavyweight, a lot of people get put to sleep anyway, and if they're just forced to keep going and going, what? No, continue. Okay. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm going Francis Ngannou, least likely to to remain the champion in their division. Just because if he's not knocking someone out and we just have to keep dragging on, we've already seen the guy gas out against Stipe over the course of five rounds. So if they're forced to keep going, I mean, I guess he can still finish his opponent, but he can also be finished as well. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you're telling me, Dominic, that if the UFC implemented rules – that the only way you can win is by knocking out or submitting your opponent. You're saying that the guy who wouldn't remain champion is the one who knocks out everybody? Yes. Wow. I'm 
I'm gonna I, look, I, I look at every other champion and I just shock. feel like they're just I don't know. I'm I'm actually in shock right now. I mean I feel like I don't know. Maybe people I get what you're I'm saying. prepared to get roasted. I, I get what you're saying about the like him getting tired. But I mean, if you're going ten rounds, isn't the guy he's fighting probably going to be tired too? I guess it depends on who it is. Oh my god! <laughs> I I think I don't know, if, Dominic. Are you hearing my question right? Like, I mean, I, I don't like know who you is... wanted me to pick. That's who I picked. Well, that's I don't, who came into my head. I mean, that's a hard question, but I I wasn't expecting the biggest knockout artist in UFC history. Yeah, that's what I got, uh, man. All right. I mean, I'll keep looking at my list of champions. No, no, you, hey, you, you, you gave your answer. All right, all right. I'm looking at the list of champions because this is this is a tough one. (laughs) As far as like who, because to me, what I'm thinking of here, Dom, what I'm asking this is like, who are your champions that don't have high finishing rates? So therefore, they almost have to fight against their style. And I guess that would bring me to Volkanovski. Volkanovski doesn't have the highest finishing rate, especially to go the distance. Yeah, and um, because of that, I feel like he would have to fight against his typical style in order to win a fight. Right out that, of his under that rule set. Yeah. So if he went up against a guy like Max again, and he didn't have the the cushion of being done at five rounds. You know, Max, I feel like if he had to start being more aggressive in his striking and really trying to look for knockout blows, I think Max would piece him up if that was the the fight. Um, so I'm going to go with Alexander Volkanovsky, but that's... Poor Volk remains to just be like that one champion. You know what I mean? It's crazy. I can't believe you picked Francis Ngannou, so I'm, <laughs> I'm still in shock. Hey, if he can't get the knockout early and his opponent can stretch it out, I think he can be finished. Zero uh, uh, gone. <clears throat> anyway. All right. Uh, number eight. Bit, this kind is a of question. a fan question, right? Yeah. One of our viewers posed this question to me and Dominic on Twitter. Me and me and the viewer went back and forth on it for a little bit, but I figured we'd talk about it here. Dominic could give his thoughts on it. And um, why is Giga Chikadze being overlooked, Dom? Why is it too soon? For him to beat a replacement for a title fight or to fight Max. A lot of this being in response to our episode where we talked about Giga after he beat Edson Barboza. And we mentioned that while we wouldn't be opposed to him being fighting Max or. Yeah. I, go ahead. Is it simply just because of his name value and the way in which he has kind of just came in to this top 10 of the featherweight division. Well, if our, if our episode analytics are anything to go by, then uh, he's, <laughs> the he's the biggest star, star in the yeah. UFC. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just maybe people view it as, oh, he's only got one ranked win, yada, yada, yada. His He had a couple decisions, a split decision in his early UFC runs, but now all of a sudden he's on us three straight KOTKOs against now Edson Barboza. He knocked out Cub Swanson with the body kick. So he's being overlooked maybe just because of his early UFC fights. And, you know, again, we kind of said where in 2020, the guy was like 5-0, and but you never heard anybody saying he was fighter of the year. But you heard guys like Kevin Holland 
Well, hence the name Big Mouth, the guy that got his name out there, where Giga is just a real humbled, traditional mixed martial artist who's quiet, and he's not anymore. He's not anymore, that's for sure, after his last fight. We saw that in his post-fight presser. But I think it's just the way in which he handled his name prior to this most recent win. He was just kind of fighting whoever the UFC gave him, maybe not looking for the biggest fights to get his name out there quicker than others. But in terms of the skill set, you can't overlook him anymore because it's clear he does have the ability to finish top-tier fighters, to be in there over the course of multiple rounds and still carry power, still fin- or have a finishing prowess. Um, so in terms of being overlooked, I don't even think it's a skill set thing anymore. Maybe it's just his early rise in the UFC, and that's why I think this Barboza win is going to really help him a lot moving forward. Is he going to get the replacement fight again? No, and I agree, or or fight Max, I guess, is the second half of that. Skill-wise, he matches up with all these top five guys, and we kind of already hinted at it when we talked about A.J. McKee, where Giga is that outlier where, yeah, he's ranked number eight, but he can definitely compete with any of these dudes on any given night. We saw that in his performance against Barboza. So uh, it, it just comes down to the UFC is not going to do it simply because there are bigger options in this division, especially at the top. You know, Korean Zombie, everybody loves. Yair, everybody loves. He doesn't fight often, but it's still a guy that people love to watch fight. Then you got Ortega, Max, and Bolt, who are all there in the top three. So while the skill set, again, is there, he can be. He just will not be. Yeah, I don't really understand this like uh, notion about him and Kevin Holland and like fighter of the year talk. I mean, their competition wasn't. I mean, yeah, they they went five and zero in the year, but like, if you're not fighting top competition, like, I mean, then you're not fighter of the year. I mean, if you compare him to who did we give fighter of the year to last year? Uh, we gave it to. Did we even give it to uh, Davison. Davison, yeah. You know, who I know had a draw, but he had technically, I mean, he, okay, he went 3 0 and 1. Yeah. Those three wins were dominant fashion. Should have been a belt and two title defenses, but ended up being like one for a belt and then one title defense. And then he had that draw where it was an amazing fight with Moreno. Like, how can that compare to – like, how could you even compare Giga's run that year and Kevin Holland's run that year to what Davison did? It's There's no comparison. Right. Considering, you know, Kevin Holland fought guys like Charlie Ontiveros. Who's that? Not in UFC anymore, I'm pretty sure. Right. Um, or, like, uh, he fought the – he fought uh, – De- what's that guy's name? The mm, – I'm not going to remember his name. The – the guy, you know, what's the what's the position called when people uh, mess with your teeth? Dentist. Yeah. Oh, Darren the, Stewart. The dentist. Darren Stewart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No longer um, in the UFC, by the way. No longer in the UFC. Like, I mean, we like Darren Stewart, the, but I'm the just saying. The biggest one was Jacare. Yeah, I'm just saying that um, for Giga, I think it was just a step up in competition necessary. He's got his first win against a top fifteen opponent. Awesome, and I I admire the guy's run. He's been on seven and zero. Since started 2020, he's deserving. He's been deserving probably of bigger opportunities for his last couple fights. Like, really, he probably should have been fighting ahead of Cub Swanson. I mean, he probably should have already been fighting top 15, to be honest with you. But I think it's just you have to get those wins to really solidify your status as a top fighter. You can look amazing against low-level fighters, but will you continue to look that good 
as you climb up. That was a question Surreal God had to answer. It's a question Giga Chikadze had to answer. I think the win over Barboza, while now he's ranked eighth, I do think it proved that he is a top five level talent. And any opportunity that he gets next will be good enough, in my opinion. It'll be about like you can't give him an opportunity in his next fight that I will say is like too much for him. Yeah. Even if he was fighting for a title next, which do I think that's what's going to happen? No. And I mean, there's probably probably shouldn't when you have Max Holloway waiting, but um, any fight that he gets next, solid. You know, yeah. it's just a matter of is, fighting that higher competition, being the guy that's name needs to get out there more. That's that's all it really comes down to. It's it's not like a I don't I don't think it's necessarily anything that the promotion has against him or anything. You know, he's putting on good fights in his last couple performances. I think it's legitimately just, you know, they're challenging him and at the rate that they think he's ready to go on. Yeah. And they're not always right about it. We've talked about Darren Till and how quickly he was pushed up the card and how that probably has been a re- one of the reasons why he struggled to, you know, get over the hump. But <clears throat> Giga had a lot of time to develop and, fight a lower level competition and now he's probably a better fighter for it and ready to fight the top top of the heap but it, he's only got one top 15 win that's still you know something worth noting most guys that get to a title fight probably have at least few. yeah they at least have a couple so i'm just saying i'm not opposed to it i'm just saying don't be surprised if it doesn't happen yeah moving on number nine this is a fun one dominic uh introduced here it took dominic a good 10 minutes in silence he was looking through his twitter likes searching through all of his likes of women's selfies to find oh lord this question funny <laughs> enough kidding, it was from kidding. a woman shout out to nicole bosco mma writer for fan it like, was not a selfie though but it was yes, just a, yes it was a question so but the question ended up being if you could go bowling with one current ufc fighter who would it be? Yeah, let's lighten the mood a little bit. We got real serious there. I made myself look like a fool. We got serious on Giga. We're going to bring it back. We're going to bring it back. Yeah. I'm bowling with Brandon Moreno. I think me and that boy are going to have a blast at the bowling alley, talking Legos, video games, drinking some Modelos or whatever Mexican beer he wants to bring to the party. We're going to be eating good food. And I want to see how good of a bowler that Brandon Moreno is. I'd like to think I'm a, I'm a, decent bowler you know it's a fun time when i go i'll get a strike here and there i'm not bowling a 300 or anything but i think in terms of just having a good old time hanging out with a bud reina moreno all day man all day so my mind went a different direction for this question oh boy (laughs) we'll go with macy barber (laughs) (laughs) i mean if i'm bowling with her isn't that kind of a date we gotta cut we gotta cut this episode we're simping live on air episode 137 man that's something i would say though so i know i was like shocked i couldn't believe you went with moreno no i mean you said you said you said saturdays are for the boys exactly man maybe i'm just going based off my real life no let me let me remove the simping from the equation (laughs) 
Let me let me be a boy again. Let me, okay. let me be one of the bros. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked you went with the guy. I am so shocked. That is such a you thing to do to be like, oh, this woman. Um, man, who's someone that's a, that's a fun? Michael Chandler would probably be a lot of fun. And you can have like some serious life talks. I feel like yeah, yeah like you know, value. have deep talks. Just me and Michael bowling. Yeah, yeah. and little, he's gonna just talk shit to you the whole time. I like try and get in your head. I feel like he's a very competitive guy. Yeah, I feel like this is a very intimate <laughs> hangout. Go deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> once I brought up, <laughs> once I brought up it being a date, now it's hard for me to reverse my brain. Right, so now right. I'm just imagining me and Michael Chandler on a bowling date now. Yeah, so you have you have a date with Macy Barber, hang out, go bowling, and then with Michael Chandler. Now, Dominic, if you had to go bowling as a date with one women, one well, one UFC fighter, who would it be? If I had to take someone on a date, hmm, <laughs> interesting. I'm gonna make you revert to. To your I don't like something. this question. Hold on, I'm really looking here. Give me a second. Give me a second. What are you looking at? The rankings? You know what? It wouldn't be a date, technically, because she's engaged, I believe. But, you know, I think it'd be fun to bowl with Misha Tate. An OG of the women's fight game could really give me some good talks, maybe some love advice as well going forward in my endeavors with relationships and, uh, you know, the cupcake. I just think it would be a fun time. She seems like a really fun, intelligent person, which is the type of woman I like. So she could maybe steer me in the right direction. You are really trying to paint yourself in a different light to the viewers than you do for the boys, aren't you? I'm just looking for the best dating advice possible because what I'm using is not working. (laughs) (laughs) That's a deep cut. Uh, So number 10. Number 10. Dominic, we're in the fall season, and we're approaching fall very quickly. The leaves are changing. Football season is here. It's time for hay rides and pumpkin spice lattes and all that good stuff. Apple bobbin, you know, all the good oh, stuff. Oh, shit. Hey, now. Hey, now. If you don't know, you now, can go back. I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, I can't I can't bob for apples. No, we're not, we're not doing this. My mouth is too small, Dom. Dominic, everybody listening right now needs to go listen back. Uh, Dominic, I'm not capable of bobbing for apples. I know, Noah, and and I feel bad for you because it's such a fun activity. Here I am. I'm pretty sure I've never even bobbed for apples. I would I drown. <laughs> Why is this conversation being resurfaced? Anyways. That's why you put this question on here, just so you can talk about your small-ass mouth. Anyways, all the title fights for the UFC have been unveiled for the fall season. At yeah. least we assume where our, our schedule is pretty much booked. Will you look at me while I'm reading the question? Everyone, after this ends, to re- to realize what we were just discussing, go listen to the end of episode number 35 of the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, uh, published on October 30th, 2020. You want to know a fun fact about that episode? What's that? That is, I believe, the last episode we did before we both got COVID. It it is, yes. Yeah. So fun fact about that one. 
will not, I will not Vince, explain. Noah got COVID from attempting to bob for apples <laughs> on Halloween weekend. I will not. I will not explain how COVID was passed around. But um, anyways, so the fall, fall title 20- fight. <laughs> so all our whole schedule is booked for the fall. It looks like title fight wise. And the question is, which of these is the most intriguing to you, Dominic? So you got. I mean. You got the list in front of you. Should I read them out so everybody's nah, aware? Let, yeah, let, let people know, I guess. All right. You got Volkanovsky versus Ortega, Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy, Jan Blahovic versus Glover Teixeira, uh, Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Jan, uh, Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington, Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena, um, Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier. And then Brandon Moreno versus Alexandre Pantoja. A lot of good ones. I, this might surprise you, but it might not either because you, you already know how big I am on this fight. I've been looking forward to one fight in particular for such a long time. And had it happened at its original scheduled date in March, it wouldn't even be on this list. So I already know what I would pick. But it got delayed, so I have to do it. I have to go with my heart here. Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega for the featherweight title – UFC 266, International Fight Week. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be breaking it down, and I am so excited because I think just the way that these two guys fight and their styles make it so interesting to me because Volk is as well-rounded as they come, a great striker but a very good grappler and just all-around intelligent. And again, as I said earlier, the way he game plans for every specific matchup he gets is near stellar. Ortega, the jiu-jitsu ace, but when we saw in his return fight – Against Korean Zombie, his hands and striking looked as good as they have ever looked, and it wasn't even close to the old Brian Ortega. So all of that considered, I think these two are going to clash. I think it's so interesting, too, that they both have a past with the former champion Max Holloway, so there's a lot for the future for either guy, whoever wins. I cannot wait for this fight. I love all these other ones. Obviously, Usman Covington, too, is huge. Oliveira Poirier hits me deep into my heartstrings. But I had to go Volk Ortega. I've been waiting on this fight for literally the whole year. We're in September now, almost October. Volkanovski Ortega. I'm gonna call you out again, so be prepared. Gee, See, Do- Dominic loves to he loves to give an answer and then be like, "Oh, also these two fights, I would also love." You've done that and, this whole episode, and, and, and it's like always one that I'm gonna say, and I'm like, "Damn it, just let me introduce it." Holy bear. Sprinkle, that's all I did. Oliveira Poirier is the fight. It's the fight for fight fans, you know. Two guys who have worked their asses off to get to this kind of placement. You know, Oliveira did not have an easy road to become champion. He has reached the top of the mountain, but now he has to defend the crown. And Dustin Poirier is a guy who, I mean, really had a similar path. He started in a division lower I mean, really, they have similar career paths. Had if he run at a lower division, kind of moved up, have been much better, but still, you know, had their bumps in the road. Poirier has fought for a title before against Habib, lost in pretty disappointing fashion, but it was expected against a guy like Habib. Yeah. But then he's also been a guy that's overexceeded people's expectations at times. Like I always go to the Max Holloway fight. I thought Max was definitely going to win that fight, and Dustin put up one of his best performances to date. The second Conor McGregor fight, it was another one a lot of people counted him out of, and he looked really good in that fight. So yeah. that that fight to me is two guys, if there's you couldn't find two more deserving 
uh, fighters to be in that position. It's going to be heartbreaking no matter who wins or who loses. I'm going to be heartbroken and also heartwarmed at the same time. It's going to be a lot of emotions going on when that fight goes down. But um, it's a great way to cap off 2021 title fights. Mm. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait. Now, uh, number 11 is a fun one here. This is true. Uh, it's a viewer viewer question from our good friend, Jake Branson. We're just so, going to pass it right on over? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. All righty. Hey, fellas. I was just wondering if you guys think if Poirier wins the lightweight belt over Charles, do you think he defends first? Or goes up to fight at 170 next. Thank you, Jake, for your question. And that's funny that we just talked. I just got done talking about Poirier. Look at the segue there. there. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I should have. Should have uh, articulated that. But you know, get better as a host as we go. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I love this question. Uh, so I really appreciate him sending that in. And my thoughts are. <sighs> It's it's really tough to tell because my thoughts right now seem to point me in a direction that Poirier doesn't have many fights left. Yeah. Just based on the way he's kind of talked about things and from a lot of the whispers I've been hearing, it seems Poirier, maybe this title fight could be the last fight if he loses, if he wins, you know, maybe he's got one or two more. But it doesn't seem like we're going to be seeing him that much longer. So the question here is if he wins the title. And I think, truthfully, there is a better chance if he wins that he goes up to welterweight than defend the lightweight title. But I don't think it's going to be for the fight that people would think. I think a lot of people maybe are thinking he would go up to welterweight to fight Kamaru Usman. And I just don't think that's what he would do. I think no. it would be a fight with Nate Diaz 100%. For sure. Um, another good payday for him on his way out. Uh, who knows? You know, that's – he also would seem like the per, kind of guy – like because UFC doesn't like it when champions just relinquish titles. And, yeah. Especially if they're going to continue fighting. So maybe he would just take another title defense in order to, you know, appease, you know, the the brass. But I, I'm leaning towards if he wins, he moves up fighting ideas so this is interesting because while we are thinking on a very similar path we're also completely opposite so this is what mm -hmm. i believe i think that if poirier goes uh in and loses in december i think he does one more fight and i think it is against nate diaz at 170 pounds but if he wins the title he has finally hit the peak in his life goal of becoming UFC champion. And I truthfully don't see any matchups at lightweight where he's going to stick around and defend that belt. And if he's the champion at lightweight, yes, I could see him going up to 170 and still fighting Nate in that instance. But I lean toward if he becomes the champ, he retires on top and goes out on a shield with the last thing he wanted to check off the list. So again, we kind of thought the same thing but just flip it the opposite way. That's that's kind of where I'm leaning now. Maybe I, it could change come December if he acts different, but everything that we've seen from him leading in this whole year, even after the Connor stuff, that's that's how I feel what could be the next route or what we could see from Dustin after December 11th. Yeah, I like that. I do. I 
that might actually honestly you kind of convinced me right there you kind of did however i don't think based off what you just pitched i don't think he wins the belt and it's just like i'm retiring because i think that's too much of a picture perfect ending how many times have you seen that in mma you never do habib He's like the only one, and that's even so far. We're still only a year out from that retirement, so who knows? It's MMA, combat sports in general. You never go out with like the storybook ending. Yeah, I think Poirier. I think there would just be another fight that he would come back for. And I'm not saying he could win that and still go out on top, really. But I just I think it's too perfect of an ending to be like I win the belt, done. I feel like he would want to. One more, you know. Right. So right. I do – I actually – you've convinced me that if he loses Nate Diaz, but if he wins, maybe he does – I think he does defend them. I, I will change my answer and say he defends against the winner, Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje. Look at that teamwork there. I love yeah. it. But uh, that's going to wrap it up here for our Reddit roundtable today. Me and Dominic, man, we going at it like a married couple, but at the end of the day – I still would rather – there's nobody else I'd rather do this podcast with. So No, not even close. Nobody else I'd rather shit on, dunk on every episode. 137 episodes now. But then end it with a big hug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a big hug across the screen, you know, yes, through the phone. Yes, yes. Like the words of Soja Boy, I believe. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> anyways, next week I'll be, we'll be seeing you guys on Monday. Again, it will be more of your traditional – uh, yeah. weekend recap, but more so just going to be a lot of news and recap and thriller boxing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and maybe. <laughs> and fight announcements. And then obviously Friday we'll be back on schedule with the MMA weekend preview. Yeah, yeah. UFC and Bellator. Yep. So we'll have multiple events to go over. Should be a good time. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Geasley14. More importantly, go follow, go engage. Go leave a voice message like our good friend Jake Granson did. Send it in. We'll leave you on the episode, no matter if it's a Reddit roundtable, a preview, a recap. We'll get you in. Don't worry. And you can say whatever you want. You got 60 seconds. If we don't like it, we just won't put it on. I'll just be honest with you here. Anyway, <laughs> you can do that on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. And Noah will describe to you a little better on where you can find that voice message link. Well, first, to find me, you go to Twitter, Instagram, at NTBaker underscore. If you go to either of those, there is a link in my bio that will take you to the link tree, which provides you with a list of links to all the platforms the podcast is on along social media platforms. That includes the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. It's all on there, baby. Yeah. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout out to Anchor. Shout out. First, leaving a voice message. Do it. Come on. Do it. If Jake can do it, you guys can do it. Yeah. Do it. Um, also, there's a link. <laughs> to be, we to have the best <laughs> outro of the game. Uh, you just I had to say it. Listens to the end. You just had to say it in recording this time. I, yeah, I'm sorry. We, we, we need to be humble. I'm tooting the horn where the horn can be tooted. Anyways, <laughs> if you want to donate a dollar ninety nine, so that or more, 
so that uh, I can have Dominic get his brain checked for thinking Ngannou would uh, lose When you his look belt into it, okay, shout out every Bravo. Everybody just look into that section. I didn't even give a good explanation, but just think about it. Uh, please leave a dollar ninety nine so that Dominic can get his head checked. Otherwise, uh, or more, I guess. Or more, you know. or more. Um, but beyond that, that's it. We're out. We're going to see you all on Monday.